everyone. This is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime suspense and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale, the nine-book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service, you're in complete control of your own podcast, you can run it from your own website, and it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. Our guest today began his love of reading as an employee with B. Dalton Booksellers. Remember them? I do, fondly. (laughs) He's the author of the Arthur Nakai Mystery Series, which takes place in New Mexico, the only part of Southwest I still haven't really seen to my satisfaction. I want to go back someday. His second novel, Death Waits in the Dark, was a finalist in the American Book Fest Awards 2020 and won the Feathered Quill Award in 2021. His latest novel is When Silence Screams, I'm pleased to have with me author Mark Edward Langley. Hi, Mark. It's great to see you here. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Excellent. Good. Uh, First of all, I got to say, I used to love B. Dalton booksellers. (laughs) What did you do there? Oh, Lord, you're going back to 1980, you know, and... Uh, my my parents, my family moved down there, but my dad got transferred, and um, it was just close by. And I I thought well, I'll get a job there, you know, and uh, ended up for the time I was there, uh, started out in the back room receiving the books, getting them all labeled and stickered and stuff, and putting them out, and then got them to be on the register and that kind of stuff, you know. So uh, ended up stocking and working that, and I loved being down there because it was right down the street from the windmill dinner theater and a lot of actors came through doing plays there and a few of them actually stopped in the store to buy some stuff excellent i love it it. but i got uh uh instilled in reading men i was watching the spencer for hire series on television and one of the ladies i worked with said if you love the show you should read the books so Mm -hmm. i started reading the books and was hooked from there on isn't it interesting how things often start with television? Uh, I know that my love of mysteries started with watching Honey West way back in the day. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy, yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, it's just funny how things happen like that, you know, and then you get 
I got into reading Robert Parker and then Vicki Spillane and John D. McDonald and just went from there. And, you know, I just started loving whatever I can get my hands on. All great stuff. Well, uh, tell us about Arthur Nakai. He's an interesting character, an ex-Marine, a former member of a special ICE unit, and a Native American, correct? Exactly, yes. How did you come up with this character, um, not to mention his, his wife, who's a news reporter? I thought that was interesting. Please tell us more. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I, uh, I started thinking about developing care. First, I took a two-week vacation out there, and I traveled the route that's in the book. So whatever I saw along that way, I dictated into a tape recorder and came back and transposed it all down, you know, and started developing characters and backstories for the characters. And um, I stumbled across, I wanted to be different in a lot of ways than other writers that are out there writing about that. And not not as far as how police goes or whatever it may be, you know, but I developed Arthur Nakai based on my love for R. Carlos Nakai, the uh, Native American flute player. And at the time, one of my friends where I worked uh, a million years ago, it seems like now, uh, whose first name was Arthur. So I liked the way that rang together. So I used that, developed a character with that. Uh, as far as his wife Sharon goes, I um, actually was texting back and forth in the mornings with one of the local reporters on the NBC station here in Chicago and um, I wanted to ask her some questions is about, you know, what do you give up to have this life you have? I wanted to make her real and things that, that happen um, in their life once you have that job. A lot of things you don't get to do. Uh, you miss a lot of birthdays and anniversaries and that you're always on the air doing something, you know. So she helped out a lot uh, with that. And I developed that character and the other ones of Jake Billigote, which is loosely based on my grandfather, large barrel chested man, you know, uh, with that. So I could kind of start molding these people into what I, I have now. I think it's really interesting the way your travels informed your fiction writing. Oh, yeah. I That was the whole plan to do that. Because, you know, you can't just look online and find pictures and things and do things and, and do searches you have to be there and that's what I found out a long time ago uh, I told Ann Hillerman once that uh, her father helped me understand the importance of descriptive sentencing you know to set surrounding and set place um, I think Robert Parker helped me develop uh, dialogue uh, kind of, you know conversations in books um, so I use those along with that I had to be there. You have to smell it. You have to see it. You have to taste it. You have to feel the heat, feel the cold in order to convey that to the reader in the book. And a lot of people who have read my, my books feel like they're right there in the situation in the area. I love that. That's the effect you want. Absolutely. Yep. And I do have to say that I love the Southwest. It's beautiful. The area is gorgeous. It's such a great place to set a mystery in more ways than one. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I fell in love with that when I was in my preteens, you know, and it just uh, stuck with me when I went back for this uh, Path of the Dead book to take the tour out there with that. Once I got into the area, 
and was driving through the red landscape up through Utah and stuff, I was home. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just, that's the way I feel about it. I would be no more worse for wear living out there. And that's my plan if things uh, go as well as I hope they will, you know, to, to be able to take my wife and move out there. So I'm closer to it. If I have areas in the book I need to go to, hop in the truck and go there, you know, and, and get the firsthand information uh, of that. And then I can be able to talk to people out there. I talked to several uh, Navajo people uh, my last trip out there and uh, got their take on a lot of things. And um, it's good to be able to have that afforded you right there to just pick up and go, be where it needs to be, meet the people and talk to them and just get all wealth of information. Yes, absolutely. I was fascinated by uh, the way you did research on the Navajo people while you were there. It seems that your uh, research, in a way, really started as a happy accident, kind of like you met people, they told you things, and you sort of took it from there. Is that about right? Exactly. The funny thing was that uh, what began that whole journey of meeting people was I was creating a situation in the book, in, in uh, Path of the Dead, I mean, uh, Death Waits in the Dark, sorry where I had this high school student and I wanted to make sure if he lived in this certain area, would he go to this high school, you know? So I found somebody online that I saw who lived in Farmington and could answer my question. So I asked her about that and she agreed to answer it. And she said, yeah, and this, we got talking back and forth and became kind of Facebook friends, you know? And then she was actually the one, it was Bettina. She was uh, one who got me involved in meeting some people out there when I went out there. And I got to learn a lot because one of them was uh, Arnold Clifford. And uh, you look at the man and he's just a, a regular kind of guy, you know, in baggy pants and shirt and, and stringy hair, but he was the foremost geologist and botanist of the area. He gives dissertations at universities, takes university students out in the field and talks about everything and shows them all that, you know. So I spent a day with him. And uh, the best thing was is recording him telling me everything about the certain areas that the book is in the book, you know. So uh, I learned a great deal. And um, I refer to him several times in, in the second and third book. Uh, I, I learned a lot and will continue to do that. I, I follow him on Facebook. I learned a lot more uh, with that. He'll answer questions and we'll go back and forth, you know, so uh, meeting the people uh, like that really just opened up a whole door uh, out there of information and, uh, and friendship. It makes a huge difference in terms of the quality of the fiction, too, I think, getting to know right. people, talking to them and actually experiencing the place. Mm -hmm. Totally. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Tell us a little bit about your latest book. What's it about? Well, I came upon the idea of When Silence Screams by being a part on Facebook, uh, linking up with uh, NMIW, which is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women uh, Organization. And every day, it seemed like a couple of years back, I was getting notifications and flyers every day of someone going missing. Uh, you know, it could be once, twice, three times a day. Uh, so I decided to look into that more. I went to their website 
and I saw all the flyers of all the girls and women that ended up missing or were found uh, murdered or whatever. And it struck me that when I read in 2016 alone, 5,712 girls and women went missing on the reservations in the U.S. and Canada, that I thought, you know, that number is a number. Well, when you see all the flyers that put a face to that number, it becomes more meaningful, more scary, you know, more more palatable because it, it puts a face to the name, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the information about that person. And then I started watching videos of the interviews with the, the families that are trying to deal with the missing person that they have, daughter or son or whatever. And um, it just struck me that, you know, no one ever hears about this. And, you know, like the character says in the book, when it's a nice white girl missing off a golf course, everybody hears about it. But you have 5,712 in one year alone, and it's not broadcast, but in the local media. I mean, so I don't want to beat people over the head. I don't do information dumps on things, but I think that uh, I want to raise awareness and that this happens. It happens daily. And that's one of the things in Navajo people like that I spoke with is I'm, I'm dealing with situations they deal with on a daily basis. So they like the fact that I'm writing about current events uh, out there. I'm not just making up some whimsical story about things. Yes, that's great. I mean, it's great that you're raising this issue, making people aware of it. It's something that I never really thought about or, or knew until you, right. uh, until I read your book. Um, let's see. Right now you're working on your fourth novel. Is that correct? I was doing that today. Yes, I was working on that uh, <laughs> I, I'm some chapters into that. I got an idea for the fifth book. I titled that sort of the first two chapters of that one. And then I'm also uh, in the middle of, while doing those things, uh, focusing on book four for sure. But I uh, am creating a new series in a different part of New Mexico uh, out there with a different character and different uh, people in that one. Ooh, can you give us a hint as to what kind of protagonist it is? Well, I wanted to be different, again, like anybody else out there. It wasn't going to be a Walt Wanmeyer sheriff or a C.J. Box, Joe Pickett, you know, uh, <laughs> person, you know. So I, I did a little research and found out what job out there would contain the aspects I would need to create this character. And I researched and researched, and I came upon the New Mexico Livestock Board and contacted the deputy director there. I had a nice long Zoom conversation with him and he answered several questions and I emailed back and forth and got more information. So the, the new character is gonna be part of that. And um, he'll be, since his previous life was a New Mexico state police officer, he'll be then, you know, um, able to work with them as well too. So not just stick to his district, but go and do different things. So it's, it's developing really well with that. And I'm hoping that um, that would be just as good because right now what I've got so far, I got closed case files from the livestock board uh, concerning certain things. I've mixed a few of them together to form one storyline and hook things together. So 
that's good. I'm going to be developing that. I think it's going to be a really good character. It's going to be a character people are going to like too because it's uh, it's different than the others and it has a whole new take on on things out there. Just like with with Arthur and Nakai and so forth, I've I've got contacts with the Phoenix Police, Santa Fe Police, uh, Albuquerque Police. I just got a hundred page uh, document here from uh, University of New Mexico and their uh, Office of Medical Investigator to go through because one of my characters in Arthur's books is the medical examiner, uh, investigator of the FDMI. So I wanna make that more real and those, those case files there are gonna help me do that. I'm impressed with the amount of research you do and how much it grounds your stories. Um, I do an awful lot, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, I have a tendency to do a lot of research myself. Uh, according to your website, you have a total of nine books in the series in the works. Does that mean you have nine ideas at this point for your Arthur Nakai series? Outlines? Um, at, at Certainly that point, not fully yeah. written books. <laughs> yeah, the, first, the first three are out. Uh, so there are six, possibly seven more. I've already titled them. I've already outlined them, you know, so I know where I'm going when I get there. Uh, but uh, it's amazing, you know, and you might know as well, too, when you're writing something, whether it be dialogue or whatever, but it's definitely dialogue with me. If I start writing a conversation, I, I know where I want it to go, but then the personalities of the characters leach into the whole thing and take me to a different place. So I, I still get to where I'm going, but it, it fills out and it rounds out more and becomes more of a believable dialogue because um, they take over. You know, they, they take over and their, their own ideas come through their own wants and needs are, are there, you know. So I think it makes for a much better story to read. I've heard that from a lot of my, my uh, readers that have emailed me and, and put things online. You know, they, they love the characters. They're falling in love with the characters. They want to see them succeed. They're cheering for them. They're crying with them. So it's, I'm glad I can reach someone like that. And they, they get what I get, you know. That's excellent. That's exactly what you want. Um, yep. Let's see. I was going to ask you something about the, oh yeah, the series. So do you have a plan in terms of how it's going to end? At this moment, I don't think about how it's going to end. I just keep developing storylines and, and titles, you know, for the, the books to come. And then, uh, I've already researched for the fifth book. That's in my file cabinet behind me here. You know, it's about, it's about an inch and a half thick so far of that. Um, but I like to go through and, and just roll with the flow and kind of see how it goes and where the thing takes me because um, I have ideas, I have situations, and they may pan out, they may not. Uh, the title will probably stay, but the storyline may change. I've been told I do things backward. I create a title first and fill a story out around it, you know, but uh, it's uh, kind of like how when Silent Scream came about and reading those things, I decided to have that line kind of spoken by the, the field deputy medical examiner explaining why she does the job she does is because no one hears these girls when they're alive, but she's the only one to hear their silent scream. To say, look what happened to me. Look what happened. Find it out. Figure it out. You know, find who did this, you know. So that's kind of where that 
comes from and all the titles that I think of has a little figure around that of what the, the story is going to be. Then I do research and find out things that will complement that storyline. Yeah. I usually ask authors what writers inspired them. And in your case, I know there are some obvious suspects like Tony Hillerman and Craig Johnson. Right, exactly, <laughs> what, yeah. What I mean, authors, Tony. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, Tony, for sure. Uh, one of the books I picked up after uh, Robert Parker Spencer series was some of Tony's books, you know, and I started reading those. So Robert B. Parker, Tony Hillerman, John D. McDonald, you know, uh, Craig lately, I, I met Craig a long time ago and we, we message back and forth and email sometimes, you know, and uh, get things together. But it's it's one of those things where reading them, I told Anne about her dad, I says, you know, your father taught me about the landscape and John D. McDonald taught me about, you know, setting up things, you know, the writing in general. Parker taught me about dialogue. Mickey Spillane taught me about you know, action in, in a novel, you know, and uh, Hemingway, I think, taught me hard. I read a lot of things of, of all those authors. So I have, I, I showed Anto, I have a, the complete works of her dad in hardcover first edition. Uh, I have those, I have all the Craig's and they're all signed, you know, um, I have all Robert B. Parker's, you know, so I, I have, you know, I read them. I haven't gotten back to them now that I'm a writer, you know, <laughs> but I, I read them whenever I can if I get a, if I get a short time to do so. But uh, yeah, they all affected me. I feel like I learned from the masters by reading and absorbing what they were doing. Yeah. Like, you know, Robert, Robert Parker had his whole thing was, was Raymond Chandler, you know, I mean, he, he, he just took all that and that's how Spencer came about and his, his dissertation in college was about all that. So I, and they grow, you can see these writers, Tony and, and Robert, when their first novels came out, as they grew throughout the series as a writer, you could tell, and things just evolved and got much better. And that's just going to happen to me and everybody else that writes. The more you do it, the more it evolves and gets better. That's great. That leads right into my next question, actually. I was going to ask you what advice you would give to aspiring novelists. Oh, boy. Um, I think number one is never give up on yourself. Never let somebody else tell you you can't do that because your dream isn't their dream and they have no way, reason or know how that affects you so always always go for the best always do it reach for that that gold ring because you know it's it could be out there you never know but you don't know unless you try you know um, study as much as you can research as you and I know as much as you can about things because none of us know everything and the more we research, I learn about things I never thought I would have learned about in my life, you know, before doing this. And it's just an incredible amount of lot of knowledge lets you evolve. Absolutely. So the more, the more you can do that, the more you find out about that. And never, just never give up. Never, ever give up. That's so true. And we learn so much from each other. Writers do. I mean, like you exactly. said. Robert Parker started with um, Raymond Chandler, yep. essentially Everybody. kind of recreating him. And, you know, we all copy from each other to an extent. It, it's like oh, yeah. part of the uh, the whole uh, ecosystem, if you will, of writing. Exactly. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's like like Milton Burroughs would say he stole from everybody, you know what I mean? So it's just, <laughs> you know, it, you, you, you read, you pick up, 
you know, you, you learn things and it formulates in your mind what you want to do and how you want to say it. You'll say it differently, you know, but everybody learns from predecessors. So absolutely, just, that's the way I feel it is. It's true. It's absolutely true. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? Oh, just even anybody who wants to can go to my website, markedwardlangley.com. It's markedwardlangley.com, one word. Um, read about the books, all three of them are on there. Uh, you can buy them on there. Um, you can go to any of my social media from there, click on the icons and go to that. Uh, learn more about uh, the books and watch the book trailers and see other, listen to past interviews. And there's a whole raft on that. And don't forget, they need to go on there and join members only because when you join members only, you will get monthly emails uh, of things happening in my life and with the books and so forth. And, and occasionally, occasionally I put in there excerpts of the new book I'm working on. Um, so you'll be able to catch a glimpse of what's coming ahead. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Mark. I really, really appreciate it. Fantastic. I, I love it being here too. Thank you very much for having me. Sure thing. My pleasure. And I would also like to thank my Patreon supporters, Ken McLoon and S. Corin. I'm putting together very slowly season-by-season season episode guides to all the interviews that I have done on the Crime Cafe, which will be available to patrons. So check us out on Patreon. The Crime Cafe box set and anthology come with the lowest tier uh, contribution. So. Uh, our next scheduled guest will be Rhea Frey. I'll be seeing you in two weeks then, and happy reading. 